this is um, the most extraordinary community. And if you're new to church, I'd love to just encourage you, uh, don't stay new for very long. Uh, because you're part of something amazing here. Uh, I bring greetings from London, uh, from our church community, Saint. I've come with a couple of my um, kind of co-pastors and colleagues. Uh, why don't you stand, Zach and Pastor Brian. Uh, so we are just so delighted to be with you today. And thank you for your kindness and your welcome and your hospitality, Mark and Laura. You're amazing. We just love you guys. And the, the kind of church crush is mutual. We just, we, we love what you're doing. And every single one of you here is actually an inspiration. You don't probably realize it when you're part of something like NCC, but what you're doing is having an impact all over the world. Uh, it genuinely is. Your generosity your service of Jesus, your love for one another, the way you're serving God in the heart of what the world knows is probably the most influential square miles on the planet. And every one of you is here for a reason. You have a calling on your life and we're praying for you. We're proud of you. We're cheering you on from all over the world. And we're in a series called Flourish and I'm gonna pick up where we left off last week, if that's okay. God's plan for you and I is that we would flourish spiritually. By the way, if um, at any point you don't understand what I'm saying, um, it's not that we're further ahead, it's just jet lag. And, and also, um, please help me with my British reserve. We love Americans in, in Britain because you're so much more enthusiastic than we are. So you're going to have to compensate for my British reserve with your enthusiasm. So if you agree with anything I say, you have permission to... Um, I don't know what you do. No, 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 no. no. No, no, that's too much. That's <laughs> Spiritual flourishing. God wants you and I to be fully alive. When we hear the word spiritual flourishing, it's so easy to think of somebody else, isn't it? Or the person at the end of the row with a badge, the greeter who met me this morning. They seem on fire for Jesus. Maybe you're thinking of your most holy friend right now. They seem to float on air. They have a halo. They know the words to all the songs. If the words aren't on the screens, they're still okay. <laughs> They've seen The Chosen twice. <laughs> They've read every one of Pastor Mark's 24 books twice. They have an NCC tattoo. They are nice to their in-laws at Christmas. They pray circles around your family before their own. But we think of spiritual flourishing, we think, well, that must be for somebody else. What about us? You know, we're just struggling, if we're honest, to keep our heads above water. We're broken. We don't feel that strong. We don't feel very fruitful. We can't really flourish on our own. And when we look at the world, it's hard to imagine what spiritual flourishing looks like in a world that is in a mess. In a cultural moment that seems so uncertain, at the intersection between some of the most fundamental shifts in human history, the rise of AI, the crossfire of political turmoil, an election year, the global pandemic that's still impacting all of us, culture wars, social upheaval, the doomsday clock, never been closer to midnight, the geopolitical situation never more dangerous in living memory. And even in the midst of all this uncertainty, the church, if we're honest, in our generation, in our nations, is often not a place of flourishing. We've often lost our voice, our ability to be heard, even though we're speaking. And if we're honest, we've often lost the trust of our young people. A Barna study recently said that 80% of those in their 20s will leave the church. 80%. And you'll know that Gen Z are now classed as the most irreligious generation in history. The highest levels of anxiety, the poorest mental health. You don't need me to tell you how rough the world is for young people today. In London, well, we are ahead of the curve in some ways. Uh, we are just ahead of the decline curve, where I serve in a neighborhood that's probably in the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, it's a poor part of the city. We, half the kids actually are growing up below the poverty line where we are. And a great decline in faith began in around 1900. The First World War preceded that and accelerated that. And then 
uh, the last century has been one of total decline in the church, across the church, across the, the kind of spectrum, to the point where less than 1% of people in our neighbourhoods would attend a regular local parish church on a Sunday morning, 0.8%. Which means we are officially ministering to an unreached people group. So that's exciting. I don't have to go to the ends of the earth. I can step out my front door and I'm on an unreached people group mission field. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to depress you. I'm not here sort of just to sort of depress you too much. But the, um, the good news is this. Astronomers know this secret. It's always darkest before the dawn. Finances know this. When do you buy the stock? Not at the top of the market. When it's cheap, you know something's going to happen. And it's in moment of greatest need when things look really bad that historically God over and over and over again begins to answer his people's most desperate prayers for a turnaround. To awaken a generation. And it starts with the spiritual flourishing of you and me, us, the church, this room. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we flourish spiritually? How do we position our lives for spiritual flourishing? So what I want to do today, if it's okay, is less of a preach and more of a bit of a testimony, really, because we've been in a season where I think we've begun to experience some, some turnaround, some flourishing, just in my heart, in my life, in our church community. And so what I want to do today is talk a little bit like the guy who Jesus heals and says, I don't know, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. So it's an, I'm going to give you a bit of an eyewitness account of something that God is doing in our community. And I offer it with real humility. I am not an expert, as you can tell. I haven't written any books. I'm not, you know, I, I'm just here to serve. And I don't know why I'm preaching, to be honest. You could have had anybody preach. But um, for whatever reason, I think it's the British accent. <laughs> so I want to offer what I'm going to share today with with. Genuine humility, not pretend humility from a platform, but genuine because I don't have anything really to give. But I'm going to tell you what I've seen Jesus do. And so today's message is entitled, Prepare the Way for the Lord. And what I want to share with you today is a little bit like an alarm going off on your phone. Something's going to hopefully resonate in your soul that is God's wake-up call for you in this season, in this church community, for this city, for this nation. So why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this extraordinary community, for every person here today. Thank you for those watching online at Nova. We pray today that you would take the room, you take the platform. We humble ourselves, God. We have nothing in our own strength to bring you today. And we ask for you, Holy Spirit, to come and to meet with every one of us. Speak to us from the front of the room to the back of the room, from the heart that is most angry right now, most distant from you, to those who are longing for more of you. And everyone in between, God, would you break through today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Hopefully it's going to come up on the screen. If it's an English translation, I mean, the, you know, King's English rather than you know, what you guys did. I hope it's going to work out, okay? (laughs) Mark 1, verse 1 to 11. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Everyone say, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. No, you don't have to say that. That's just, you, 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 you're good. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism, listen, of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the River Jordan. And then skip down a little bit further. It says this, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, 
He saw heaven being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Amen. Prepare the way for the Lord. So like Pastor Mark said, I don't travel that much, and about a year ago, I was in the US, the first time in years, first time in about five or six years. And I love America. I don't come very often, but I'd come because about 20 years ago, I had the privilege when I was just a kid of leading worship at an Alpha conference in a little town called Wilmore in Kentucky, just outside of Lexington. And there's 3,000 people live in Wilmore. And there's a couple of well, there's a seminary and a, a little university called Asbury. And over the last 20 years, I've kept in touch with the faculty there. And there's, a, there's, a good, there's some amazing scholars there who I kind of track with and some interesting people. About a year ago, a friend texted me and said, something is going on with a bunch of Gen Z students in a hall in the Hughes Auditorium in Asbury. I was like, Asbury? I felt like the guy in the, can anything good come from Nazareth? I was like, Asbury? I, I, white picket fences, you know, it's like the town in Back to the Future. That's what we think of like most of America, like, you know, American movies. I'm like, this is amazing. What, what, what could be going on in Asbury? And so I texted another friend, a couple of pastors, and they were like, no, something is going on. Now, I'm not one of these guys who gets on a plane. But at that point, a year ago, if I'm really honest with you, I was desperate for Jesus to move. I run out of ideas. We try and do church in our own strength. The pandemic knocked that one out. And we're like, I don't know what it's going to take. 0.8% of people come to church. Like, what's it going to look like? A little bit like that parable or that story when Jesus is in the house and, and, and the friends cut open the ceiling, you know that? Just to get in the presence of God. I was like, I, I probably am in that place where if it's a rumor of God on the move, I'll go. And so I've never done this before in my whole life. I got on a plane and I went to Asbury. Kentucky, Lexington, Wilmore. And I thought, if nothing else, it's so nice to go and visit the Americans. We love the Americans. I hired a car. Uh, I can't remember what airport it was, Lexington, I think. We drove down the little hour-long drive to, to Wilmore and shut the door of the, the car. And I stepped out on the parking lot in the Theological College at Asbury. As I shut the door of the car, standing on the tarmac, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. No hype, no crowds, no nothing. I was like, got out of the car and I was like, oh, this is not a drill. You could feel it. I was like, oh no, I've grossly underestimated what God looks like when he moves. Because in that moment, I was aware of my own sin. I say that as a pastor. I've got probably more sins than you. You know, I was like, oh God, I'm being so proud. God, I've tried to do it in my own strength. I've not fathered my church well. You know, I, I've done it in, you know, and, and honestly, there on the tarmac, I had to stop and take a breath and go, God, I've just got to get right with you. I found myself locking myself away before I even went into that room and just praying, God, I'm so, so sorry. And walked into a gathering, not much bigger than this, a group of young kids. And, you know, I can't talk about it still without weeping because um, for all the hype and all the excitement of church and I've done what you guys do, I think you guys are probably similar to our church. I'm like, you know, I walked in the room and I was like, oh no, this is the real thing. Jesus is here in a way that's not necessarily comfortable. The, the ceiling has been pulled back. The curtain has been pulled back for a little moment. And here are a bunch of teenagers, college kids, just being loved by God in a very tangible way. But it felt like it was walking into a furnace. In one sense, the same songs we sing, you know, like we sang this morning. But man, oh man, you know, I was just so aware of the presence of God, like never before in my life. You know, honestly, it was, it was something else. And those days I was there, I witnessed what God did. I learned a huge amount. I learned a huge amount about the presence of God, about God's heart for the very young, about what he's going to be doing with the next generation. And as a pastor, I'm in a listening and learning mode. But more than that, Jesus just got my heart again and changed me a little bit and renewed me. 
So I left and went back and got back on the plane. And I wept all the way over. I flew United. All the way, they're so nice on United. <laughs> I was with one of our pastors, Pastor Steve. And they thought we'd had some kind of row because I was weeping the whole way home. <laughs> we we're right at the back of the plane, like, like the, the tail. There's two little seats in the economy right at the back. And we were together and like, it was like I was there just crying. They kept bringing me tissues and pretzels and tissues and pretzels. <laughs> and they were like, are you okay, honey? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, are you sure? Is he being mean to... It's like, no, it's fine. And I wept all the way home, really, because I didn't want to go away from the presence of God. I just, oh, my heart was like, oh, if I... Eternity feels less scary now. And I got to, you know, sitting in the plane and um, I prayed and I said, Lord, I don't want to go back to London if you don't come with me. Don't pass us by. You know, we, we, we need you. And I started um, like making a list of things to change. I was like, okay, we're going uh, to kill all the production. And we're going to stop. We're going to fast for a month. We're gonna, and, and the Lord just very kind said to me, Al, you know what? Change nothing but your heart. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Lord said something to me that I'll never forget the rest of my life. He said, Al, you've got 18 months to prepare for a move of God in London. Now, I'm a pastor. I train people on like how to pray, the prophetic, no dates and mates. You never say, in 80 months' time, you're going to marry the guy next to you. That might be a word for one of you here today. Somebody's laughing a little bit too loud over there. But we don't tend to like, put dates on things with God. But I was like, okay, maybe let's think about what it would look like if God was to pour out His presence in a way that shut down Capitol Hill. He's done it before. And what would it look like for our church? Well, I was like, oh my goodness, we have not got enough seats. We've not got enough leaders. We haven't got enough money. We haven't got enough space. We haven't got enough... We're not mature. We don't know how to deal with the stuff that I saw at the front of the Hughes Auditorium with the mess that comes when God moves. And so we've been on this journey of like, I don't know, I, I, 18 months, who knows? We're a year in. It's like, okay, we haven't got long. I'm like, the timing is irrelevant in one sense. It's the attitude of our hearts. Like, what would it look like if we lived in such a way that if God was to walk in the building tomorrow, we'd be ready? Yeah. If Jesus came to your house in the morning, Monday morning, or came to work with you, what would it look like? So we've been on this journey and honestly, we've seen over the last year, I walked in the church the Sunday I got back and I sat where I normally sit on the front row and I was like, I don't want to preach because I can't stand up in a room where I, it felt like missing, going from the Super Bowl final to like small league football. I was like, I, I, I just want to be back where you were, Jesus. I don't want to go back to a church where we're singing the same songs and it's empty of your presence. The amazing thing was, I stood up to preach and the I couldn't preach that Sunday. I preached a little bit, but the Lord was there moving powerfully already. And that Sunday, we saw hundreds of people make first-time commitments to know Jesus. Across the, the, the years since, we've seen more people come to Jesus than we had done the previous six years since we planted our church. And they're very young. I'll tell you some stories, but people whose lives have been so broken. What's changed? Our hearts. Our hearts have changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's always longing to move. He wants you to flourish spiritually. He wants Washington to flourish spiritually. He wants a turnaround on Capitol Hill. He wants that stuff to happen. The only thing that needs to change in that equation, the variable, it's us. Particularly if you're young here today, I want to encourage you. What I'm going to share now is for you. If you're young at heart, it's for you. What I'm going to share is really some learnings from the last year, if that's okay with you. So how do we prepare for a move of God? How do we prepare for spiritual flourishing in the church? Because I suspect God is going to do it anyhow, because history requires moves of God. And the story of the church is a story of revival. You know, at wholesale, sovereign moves of God. Not um, stuff we can control, but when God seems to move sovereignly and unexpectedly and powerfully, and if we're not ready for it, he'll find someone else to do it. So we might as well try and get ready because we want to be early adopters. We want to be in 
when God moves. How am I defining revival? Some terms. Jonathan Edwards says this, revival is an intensification and an acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Emphasis on normal. So no one gets to levitate or uh, <coughs> become eccentric. Just do the normal stuff with an acceleration because of the Holy Spirit. And there are moments in history when God breaks into human culture and brings about the renewal of His church in such a way that it begins to impact those outside of the church. That's what we're after. And this has happened many times before. Uh, you don't need me to give you a history lesson, but the Great Awakenings are the story of this nation becoming a Christian nation. when It certainly wasn't heading that way. It started off all right, the pilgrims, and then, you know, when Wesley and Whitfield and others sparked that Great Awakening, it was the history of this nation being formed in the crucible and the furnace of revival power. Then the ministry of Spurgeon or Finney, the Second Great Awakening, Azusa Street, the Pentecostal movement, that storefront church, black and white, rich and poor, in a building not dissimilar to this, crying out for revival. God answers the prayers. Fast forward 125 years, one in six people alive on the planet today would really class themselves as Pentecostals. God has done it before. Charles Finney said this, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It's the giving up of one's will to God in deep humility. What if we had a year, NCC, to prepare the way for the Lord? I mean, what would it look like if we as a church community here said, okay, we are gonna do everything we can to position ourselves for revival? Have you ever seen the, my favourite Christmas movie? What's your favourite Christmas movie? Just shout out. Elf? Go on. The Grinch, any others? Home Alone? Die Hard. You know it. Pastor Mark and I are on the same page. It, don't, don't come and find me in the lobby later. The seminal moment in the movie... He runs out on the runway and he lights up the runway to try and save that plane. Do you remember? Could we be a church that light up the runway and say, God, yes. would you land here? Yes. How do we do that? Wow. How do we do that? Well, let me just look with us at three things and then we're going to pray. And here's the disclaimer. I'd rather that we in our generation lived as people who are crying out for an awakening, for a move of God and get to heaven having never seen it so that others can see it the never cry out for a move of God, okay? So we lose nothing. Three keys to unlocking spiritual flourishing, to preparing the way for the Lord. The first is that we were called to consecration. We're called to consecration. Now look at the narrative, Mark 1, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Chapter one, verses four and five. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. The whole countryside went to see him confessing their sins. Walking in ongoing repentance. I love what Pastor Mark said. You know, we're gonna mess up today, but let's get right with God. Let's get on our knees and ask God to not let us keep walking in sin. Let's work out how we turn our hearts back to God. Every move of God is preceded by a turning of the heart of the people of God back to God. It starts with the church. It flows to the streets. What would it look like if you and I were to flee from the idols of our culture and follow Jesus with everything we have? If you're here this morning and you don't yet really think you know Jesus, can I encourage you? to not leave today without having got rid of the burdens of your life, got rid of your sin. Come and meet with Jesus. If you're here and you, you don't know whether you're really walking with Him, you're maybe on cruise control in your walk with Jesus, don't leave today on cruise control. Because Jesus is getting His people ready. Joshua 3 verse 5 says this, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. NCC in if I can encourage you, I believe that's a word for you guys in this season. 
in the midst of so much turmoil, what would it look like if we consecrated ourselves? Not therefore God will do, but God is planning to do it anyhow. The question is, are we going to be ready? And that will involve going low, getting out of the way, and some of us stepping up and choosing not to sit on the idol of idleness, saying, we're going to serve. We're going to come. We're going to help. Some of us, it's going to mean dethroning ego and unhealthy power and coming back to the simple things of Jesus, His people, face to face, heart to heart. Sometimes it's just learning to linger in God's presence, not to be entertained, but just to come with our hearts and when no one's looking, meet with Him. Putting presence before program, letting His Spirit be more important than your schedule. Pastor Mark mentioned one of the things I had the privilege of being involved in this thing called Renaissance. (laughs) We call it Renaissance, but I think Renaissance just sounds so much cooler. Renaissance. (laughs) But it's, it's simply a school of creativity that we kind of feel in the next generation, young leaders in the church are going to need to learn how to work like entrepreneurs rather than pastors. So we're trying to help them think how they would be creative in this season. Innovators, entrepreneurs, um, creatives. And we started launching this thing. It's you know, launching in the US, launching in Peru next month. It's really exciting. They're doing a conference there and in Australia, around the world. Um, and last November, we hosted a gathering in London. About a thousand people came, amazingly, from all over the world, including a team from here, Pastor Nina, Pastor Heather, whole, whole team from church here. And we were so honoured to have you guys. Honestly, it felt like having... It felt like having the president coming to visit. It was like, wow, the people from National Community Church, Washington, D.C. are coming. So we, we just, we're so, we're so grateful for you guys. It made it feel a little bit more grown up. Um, but <laughs> we planned this event. And before the first sort of moment of the conference started, first evening of the conference, there was a kind of main session, you know, probably like you guys would do, like teaching, some worship, some prayer. And we were praying beforehand in a little room where we meet with our kind of volunteers and, and leaders. And it's a kind of like, I guess, like snacks and water kind of green room thing. But that, God was like, no, we're not doing green rooms anymore. This now is a consecration room. And I walked in there and there were like dozens of just young people on their knees, weeping, crying out to God, Lord, we've got all these people here. Don't pass us by. Fill them with what you've been doing in this community. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. So that the, the evening starts and we get up to, to lead and speak and all that kind of stuff goes well and it's fun, it's a good room. But then at the end, I close the meeting. Hey guys, it's great, night one, off you go, go home. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, nobody leaves. Nobody leaves. The band have gone, they carry on worshipping. Just a cappella. People couldn't get enough of Jesus. The presence of God was there. They were like, no, no, we need Jesus and for hours into the night, late into the night, that we'd lost control of the room. Nobody on stage, just people meeting with Jesus. Young people running to the front, meeting with God, weeping. You know, we want to be a community where we are setting ourselves apart for the presence of Jesus. Before we see His power at work, we learn to sit with Him face to face in His presence. And that's a key thing for this moment. What would it look like for us in this community to prepare the way for the Lord? What would it look like for you today? Would you come to the cross, you know, with your secret sins that no one knows about? Maybe it's a pornography addiction. Maybe it's a coke habit nobody knows about. Maybe it's secret infidelity. It's in your mind and you're wrestling, you're trying to hold on to a marriage, but you know in your heart there's a battle. Maybe it's spiritual compromise or apathy or fear of the future or debt or whatever it is that's holding you back. Jesus loves you. He wants to set you apart today. He wants to come alongside you. And the gateway to that is to come and consecrate yourself so that He's able to have your whole life. So first is prepare the way for the Lord. Consecrate yourself today. We'll have a chance to do that in a moment, a chance to respond. Second, real quick, is the calling to contend. And you guys model this so well. It's in your DNA. It's in your charisma as a church community. You are a church birthed in prayer. John the Baptist knew this secret in this passage. 
verse one, uh, chapter one, verse seven, eight. He said, after me comes one. Notice that. He's not like, hey, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me, John the Baptist, everyone. Here's my Instagram. He's like, no, I'm here because after me comes one. John the Baptist's great motto, John chapter three, verse 30, he says, I must, he must become greater, I must become less. You know, could we live as a church community that is praying that God would become greater in DC, that we might become less? Not just, hey, Jesus, here's my shopping list of things I need. Here's my gift list, my wish list. Like, God, would you come after us? Lord, would you come and reach a generation? Would you turn around this city? And learning to contend in prayer is what you have been discovering. House of Prayer sounds really exciting. I'm really, really sad not to be with you on a Thursday night. If I'm honest, I think I'd rather be here on a Thursday than a Sunday. It sounds like it's fire on a Thursday. Sunday's great too. Don't get me, sorry if that's upset you, but <laughs> get me in a room with the praying saints. That's where the fire is. Like if you've never come to House of Prayer, could you turn up on Thursday? This Thursday, right? Like come and pray. Set fire to the church. Spurgeon, great speaker, saw a move of God in London, Charles Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers. And he had this enormous ministry. Tens of thousands of people came into the kingdom and, and people would come from all over the world. And one day, a couple of missionaries had come from the east and they'd come all the way to London to visit Spurgeon's Tabernacle, as it was called, where all these young people were becoming Christians. And they, they walked down the street, around the corner. It was a cold day and there was a queue, a crowd of people waiting to get into the building. Thousands and thousands queuing to get into Spurgeon's tabernacle. And they went around the side door, the back door, and they found a little back door. They knocked on the back door and to their astonishment, the door opened. There was a smartly dressed young man with a beard and a Bible. And he said, hello. And they said, hello, we're here to visit Spurgeon's tabernacle. He said, well, come on in. And they said, tell us about this place. What's the secret to the great ministry of the preacher Charles Spurgeon? And the man, with a twinkle in his eye, he said, well, let me show you the boiler room. They thought, wow, is it as simple as that? They have an amazing heating system. <laughs> that could be great. So they go downstairs and under the auditorium was a room, tiny room, packed full of people, weeping and crying out to God, do not pass us by. Prepare the way for the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Increase, getting low, crying out to God. And they found themselves in this furnace of prayer. That was the secret. Thousands of souls saved by the ministry of that place because there were saints who were praying, contending for a move of God and awakening in their generation. Of course, the guy who let them in was Spurgeon. He, he said, let me show you the secret of what's going on here. You know, when they write the storybooks of what happens in our generation, it's gonna be the boiler rooms that make the first chapter. Yeah. What would it look like for us as a church community to capture that vision again for contending, for awakening. Matthew Henry said this, when God intends great mercy for His people, He sets them a praying. So I'm at the outpouring at Asbury a year ago and I'm next to a friend of mine called Pete. Pete is a pastor of another church in London, very similar to our church. And we have kind of similar demographics, similar sized church, quite young. And we would be the kind of closest in sort of like vibe to each other. And in fact, you know, we wouldn't call it competition because churches aren't competitive. We sort of say iron sharpens iron. Uh, or, you know, we sort of say, well, you know, we're the body of Christ, but you look at the right arm and you think, well, that's a good bicep. I want that one. You know, so we'd look at Pete's church and I'd be like, oh man, they've got this great sermon series called Flourish. We're going to do one too. We're gonna call, we can't call it Flourish, so we'll call it Blossom. Or, you know, they got this thing, circle, make, oh, praying. Okay. Oh, we're going to do a thing called spheres, guys. It's great. It's like praying spheres around your, the bu bubbles, bubbles, no, bubbles, no. Okay. And, and P and I have that kind of relationship. We're friends, but like we're watching each other's churches a little bit. And, and P is on the front of the Hughes Auditorium, his arm around me praying through tears, said, Lord, would you send revival to London? And would you start with Al's church, not mine? I was like, what? Who prays that? So I'm like, of course, and Lord, start with Pete's church. 
we get back to London and the first thing I did when I got back was to call Pete up and I said, hey, mate, I've been praying on the plane on the way over and I wonder if there's one thing we should do. You know, why don't we get together and pray? And with another pastor, a young black pastor called Wale, leads an amazing young church, black majority church in the city. It's just so cool what they're doing. And we just got the three churches together. In fact, we said, well, why don't we just five, five days notice, we're going to call our churches together to pray for a move of God in London. And we thought we'd have about 30, 40 people. We set it for like a Monday night. Monday night's like the worst night to do anything, probably like in DC, like no one goes out on a Monday night. And it was raining, it was like March, February, it was horrible. And it always rains in London, but it was particularly bad. And um, we opened the doors of the church at 7.30 in the evening. I'm expecting like 30, 40 people waiting for an awkward prayer meeting. And Zach, who was there, he goes, out, Pete, Wally, come and see what's happened. All around the block, there was crowds of hundreds of young people queuing because where there's unity, God commands blessing. And so we've started praying together. One of the fruit of the last year is our churches have got together and started praying. We now gather every couple of months about between 500 and 1,000 young people mostly praying through the night for revival. Like the hard lifting, the hard work could be years for a move of God. Like learning to contend in prayer. We're not a big prayer church, but we're learning to pray. So can I encourage you? You're on the right track. If you're part of House of Prayer on a Thursday night, you're on the right track. Keep going. If you're not yet part of House of Prayer, come and pray. Then the final thing is we're not just called to consecration and contending, but we're also called to communion. Let me define what I mean by communion. Union and community. That's how you make the word communion. Union with God and each other and community with God and each other. Notice that Mark ends this passage, Mark 1.11, with the story of the baptism of Christ. And for the first time, we see the Trinity at work in this story. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the voice came from heaven, verse 11. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. The dove of the Holy Spirit, the Father speaking, the Son being glorified. The Father is in a relationship of love with His Son and with the Holy Spirit. The Father delights in the Son. The Son rejoices in the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son. That is union and communion. It's community. It's the triune God. In the same way, you and I are called to be in communion with each other. And that's going to mean a community of love. Like maybe you're sitting next to someone who's like a, on the other side of the voting fence. Brilliant. Maybe you're sitting next to someone who looks different to you. Fantastic. Maybe they're a different age to you. Amazing. You know, wouldn't it be boring if we were all the same? Rarely does God strike the lightning of His power and His presence. Rarely does God move in a room where everyone looks the same. It tends to be messy people who are different working out how to do communion that is irresistible to God's presence. And my sense is that this generation are longing to see a church that flourishes in the midst of cancer culture and division and culture wars and hatred, where we come together and we don't just do it on our own, we do it with each other. We tried to do it on our own, it didn't really work out that well. But where there's unity and communion, there is the presence of Jesus. And that involves reconciliation. I was so moved. I mean, honestly, you think our accent is good. That's the only thing that's good about us. When we come to Washington, I'm like, oh man, they've got the Lincoln Memorial. We were like driving around saying, this is where Martin Luther King had the dream speech. And we're like, goodness me, what a rich story of what God has done so far in this nation and is yet to do. What would it look like for us to operate in a way that heals racial divides? Genuinely. Crosses political divides that we repent of competition and comparison to do things together because the truth is we all get things wrong. Hands up if you've got something wrong. Some of you didn't put your hand up. I need to. You're either not listening, lying, or the Lord is really on your case. We all need forgiveness. So Zach, who's with us. Zach, would you stand up for a moment? Um, Turn around. Zach is the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He's on our staff team and um, in fact, he leads our staff team and, and, and I've never heard him say a cross word to anybody. He's never rude, he's never angry, unflappable, 
just very calm, has tea at the same time every day. He's very British. <laughs> you know, just delightful. I'm in a meeting a while ago and I have my phone on the, the desk. And you know how like on your phone, it'll pop a preview of the text up on your like lock screen? This text comes, it's oh, text from Zach. So I look at my phone, I'm sitting there in this meeting and oh, the text just says two words in capital letters. The first word <laughs> begins in F. Four letters, ends in K. F, and the second word is U. I'm like, what have I done? What have I done? Search me, oh God. To get this guy to send me that text, something has gone horribly wrong. I'm like, whew. Praying Psalm 51. Cleanse me, oh Lord. And for the whole of the meeting, I couldn't concentrate. I was like, what have I done to upset my friend, my brother, that he has sworn at me in capital letters in a text message? And then I remembered, at the end of the meeting, I opened my phone, I scrolled up, and I remembered about four hours earlier, I'd had a text conversation with Zach that went like this. Zach, hey Al, just to let you know, somebody has graffitied the front doors of the church again. But don't worry, we painted it over. Reply from me. Hey, wow, you're amazing. Out of interest, what did the graffiti say? <laughs> Who do you need to forgive today? Who is in your texts or not in your texts? Who's in your heart or not in your heart? Who is in broken relationship with you today? Because before awakening comes to our generation, the church needs to get right with each other. The cross is vertical and it's horizontal. Repentance isn't just me and Jesus, it's me and Larry. I don't know anyone called Larry, but if you're, you, you know what I mean? It, it, it's you and the difficult person down the road from you that you're trying to avoid eye contact with. Habakkuk 3 verse 2 says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. Stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. Remember, in wrath, remember mercy. If we want to see a move of God in our generation, we've got to get ready. Prepare the way for the Lord. Get your heart right. I'm going to give you a moment and we're going to pray, but I want to give you an opportunity to consecrate your life today between you and God. No one else needs to know what it is, but don't leave here today carrying unforgiven sin. Don't leave here today with your heart resolved to be angry with someone else in the room or outside the room. We need to resolve today to contend for an awakening, for a turnaround in the capital for a move of God in our generation. God, don't pass DC by. Don't leave us to mobs and riots. Come, Lord Jesus, and change the hearts of people that they might know you and glorify your name above every other name. Like, could we be a church that is radical about our common unity, our community, that we'd heal the divisions of racism, difference, and the exciting thing is he's done it so many times before. He's made paths in the wilderness. In Britain in the 18th century, less than 4% attended church. God raised up people like Wesley and Whitfield who saw a great move of God because they gave up trying to run it on their own. They were like, God, we're gonna empower your people and the Lord did it. This nation converted by successive waves of moves of the Holy Spirit throughout history. He's done it so many times before. Take the continent of Africa. In 1900, only 9.1% of the people of the continent of Africa confessed the name of Jesus as Lord. By 19, 
1999, by the end of that century, it had got to 48.8%. And still the fastest growing churches in the world are in Africa. One in 14 people alive on the planet now is an African Christian. Azusa Street. Or the, the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides. The last great revival to hit the UK in the post-war years. Little island off the coast of Scotland where the presence of God fell in little chapels, so much so that the fields, men would be in the fields and would fall to their knees without anybody preaching the gospel, overwhelmed by the presence of God. Duncan Campbell, who was preaching in that revival, said this, said that it felt like a community just saturated with God. What would that look like for this city, for the coffee shops, for the lobbies, for the office blocks? saturated with God. Congress, saturated with God. The Senate, saturated with God. The military, saturated with the presence of Jesus. What would it look like for God to go with you to work tomorrow? And when you walk in the room, He'd change everything. I want to end with a story. It's a young guy who... I've asked permission to share this text. He was at church, involved in church, serving on a team. He wrote this, I was at church serving. I loved Jesus deeply. Jesus had changed my life six years before. Then six years later, this is about a year, well, a few years back, in a low headspace, I used cocaine for the first time on a night out. It turned into a pattern, weekend pattern of drinking heavily and using coke. And I was stuck in this pattern. My love for Jesus was shaking as my addiction was growing. I pursued the weekends to find escapism, fun and oblivion. With deep shame and guilt, I would cry out to God for help, but I'd use again and again. I agonisingly decided I would share my struggles with close friends and I was met with love and kindness. And then this outpouring began for us about a year ago. It's still going. I mean, last Sunday, I didn't even get to preach because the presence of God was doing such extraordinary things. We just worshipped for the whole service. He said this, I began to experience the presence of God. Three key services at Saint. One Sunday, I was filled with the Holy Spirit and saw Jesus sat next to me in His arms around me. I discovered in a new way the love of the Father. The second week, I was prayed for by one of the church leaders and a close friend and I received God's Holy Spirit and power. And again, I unashamedly shared the ugliness of my situation. I was met with love and compassion. A week later, I went sober and I've stayed sober, but I was living with guilt and shame of what my life had fallen into. Finally, at one of the prayer gatherings, like our house of prayer, two guys I didn't know prayed for me. When I thought I was done, they said, we sense we need to keep praying for you. As they prayed, deep work began. I was being delivered of my addiction. I was being set free. Chains were breaking. Freedom was falling. The Holy Spirit moved in a way I've never experienced before. Jesus was so kind in beginning to heal and set me free from the last two years of my life. And then he ends with this, Jesus has changed my life. He chased after me in my addiction. He has given me freedom. He is jealous for us. I'm just here to tell you this morning that Jesus is jealous for you. Prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to do it whether we're in or not. We might as well be in. Be more fun when we get to heaven. What do we need to change? Start with the heart. Consecrate your life. Learn to pray and contend. Start to build community, communion. But before we do any of that stuff, I'd love just to take a moment to pray for you. And um, I don't know how we do this, but Pastor Mark said I should treat this like it's my church. I'm going to do that. That's all right. So is that all right? What I'd love us to do is without any kind of hype or, um, yeah, I'm just going to pray. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And it might be like nobody comes forward. That's okay. We don't judge success like that. Um, But there are kind of three things as I was praying this morning that, or on my heart. The first is there are some people here today who don't yet know Jesus. Or maybe you know about Jesus or you've been dragged along by a partner or a friend and you're like, yeah, you know, it's like a hobby in the trunk of your car, not in the driving seat of your car. 
And today, let me tell you this, this is the moment where God is calling you to come. Don't pass this moment by. You don't know if you'll be here next Sunday. We don't know if there'll be a next Sunday. Today is the day. Your life is short. There's a dash between your birth date and the day you'll die on your tombstone. That dash is your life. I'm asking you and inviting you today to consider whether you might commit that dash to Jesus. So if that's you in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come. We're not gonna make you stand or do anything funny or you know, you can just come quietly and find me if you'd like to. Second group of people I'm gonna pray for today are those who just, you know, as I've spoken, that you're longing for more. You're longing not to do religion in your own strength with a small R, but to see an awakening in our generation. And if that's you, God has already begun to stir something in you. Often it's the tears, follow the tears. When God begins to break your heart, He's calling you to start to stand in the gap between the now and the not yet and start to intercede for the generation to come. If God has broken your heart today and is calling you to be set apart, come. If you're here and you're like, I love Jesus, but I'm struggling. It might not be a cocaine addiction, but hey, I need help. Don't pass this moment by. Uh, you know, we're only going to do this once. So come, respond today. And I'd love to invite you if that's you. And, and, the third group of people, I guess, are those who just, you've already got this memo. And what I'm saying echoes with you and you're nodding because you're like, I know this is the thing. And I would just love us to pray for you because you're a forerunner, like the John the Baptist. You're preparing the way already. You're gonna stand next to Pastor Mark and Laura and the team and hold their arms up when it gets hard. And you're gonna help going and keep praying and keep loving and keep serving. You're gonna keep going, but there's something on you for this season.